Good morning. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 28 through 34. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. This week and next week we're going to continue on with the Gospel of Mark. And then after that we're going to take a, a break through the Christmas season and a bit beyond. And then we're going to pick back up with the last six chapters because this is the march up to what we call Palm Sunday, which will begin in chapter 11. So we're going to pick it up so that we kind of end at Easter time with the gospel. So we'll get a little uh, break there. But this portion that we've been looking at here for the last few weeks talks about what's the kingdom of God look like. Remember, Mark is all about who the king is what he's like, and what this kingdom is going to be like. And so we've been looking at uh, the, the kingdom and what happens in the kingdom. And, and uh, the king continues on with that this morning. Last week, we looked at this rich young man who came and says, you know, hey, can I, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts his finger right on that one issue that's the heart issue for that man of this wealth that he had that was going to keep him away. We looked at how Jesus did that loving him and looking right at him and not scolding him, but loving him enough to tell him the truth. And that's what God does with all of us. So we pick up this morning with, you know, the disciples have been watching this interaction between Jesus and this wealthy young person. And so Peter's response is very Peter-esque. Remember, Peter is the one of the prime sources that Mark uses. So we get many of Peter's comments. And Peter somewhat, I think, later in his life was self-deprecating enough to show himself in not the best light. But he asks a very honest question, which is, well, Jesus, now that the rich young man has gone away, uh, we, we have left everything and followed you. And maybe we weren't as wealthy as he was, but, you know, I left my nets. I left my boat. My family is, you know, he's been away from his family for long stretches, clearly to follow Jesus and traipse around the master all around the countryside. And others of the disciples who might have been married, the same thing, and were fishermen and tax collectors, they've left it. What, what about us? Jesus' response, very interesting. He doesn't say, it's not about you, Peter. Let's just, you know, clear that. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. J Jesus' response is quite honest, but in, in many ways quite encouraging. Look what he says, if you've got your Bible. We'll look at uh, verse 29, his response. Truly I say to you, there's no one... Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospels 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I know many people, many of you, sacrificed a lot for the gospel, although I have to say in my life, I look at it, I don't know how much I, I mean, have any of us really sacrificed? I don't know. I, look at, I read some of the saints who've sacrificed all. I look at my life and I think, boy, incredibly blessed. It's not that I've tried to withhold from God, but I don't know about you, but I feel amazingly blessed. Um, some of you all have had relationships broken with fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers because of the gospel, or they're strained when you get together. For some of you, you the gospel is shaping you in a way that creates tensions. Some, it, there has been financial loss. And Jesus understands those things, and he understands that the, the decisions you make for his sake and the gospel's sake do not go unnoticed. I know when I look at what, what has been returned to me, for following Christ has been so much greater than any teeny thing I've given up. I look at the relationships I have with people who also value Christ like I do and who, for he's number one in their life, and I think about this instant family all over the world. As I've traveled, I meet people and I'm instantly a brother or sister with them. That's a richness that, uh, if you've experienced it, it's just unlike anything else. I have a reason for living when I was a, a young person and before I'd given my life to Christ. I just didn't even know why I was alive. I knew I wanted to make a lot of money and I also knew it wouldn't be enough. Somehow I had that ingrained. Both of those things were side by side growing up and both were true. Both when I, when I made good money and I thought, oh, this is really not satisfying. <laughs> and in following Christ as a transcendent reason for living and a purpose that I would never go back for any, any money, and I know for you all too, God has given us, gifted us, and given us identity and purpose and relationships that have more than, for whatever has been given up, for whatever strain has adequately compensated. I, I hope you feel that way, but if not, let me just say for those of you who have served and given up and have had loss in private ways that no one knows about, can I just tell you God does know about those things that in ways that you have sacrificed and you don't get a mention and you don't get a tweet about something you've done good for you that if you've given in secret if you've served in secret the Lord knows and the Lord is faithful to repay and you may not see it now you may not see yet how he will but the Bible says he does, and I can only tell you from my very limited experience, it's above and beyond what I could ask or imagine. Serve in secret. This encouragement comes right before the last time Jesus talks about his death, and I want you to pick up with me because I think we can so easily go right over this. this is, I'm going to pick up at verse 32 of Mark 10. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. This may be one of the most profound verses of Scripture that no one knows about. I look at this verse of Scripture, I've looked at hours of that one verse. Because we say all the time, like, oh, I'm going to go up to New York, or I'm going to go up to Baltimore. We mean 
usually north, right? Kind of we, we say, I'm going down to Florida or up. We mean north, okay? When they say in here, and they were going up to Jerusalem, they mean they were going up to Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem's 2,500 feet. 20 miles to the east where the Dead Sea is is 1,300 feet below sea level. It's almost a mile. That's a long, that's a steep rake for a 22, 20 miles to go up a full mile Mediterranean is just 35 miles to the west. Everything surrounds goes up to Jerusalem. So they're on the road and they're going up to Jerusalem. This would be the last time Jesus would go up to Jerusalem. He'd been up many times. You realize that Jews who practiced, Orthodox Jews who were able, went three times a year to Jerusalem. They went for three feasts for the Passover. They went for Pentecost. And they went for the Tabernacles. And so, while it wasn't a requirement that you were under some sort of penalty if you didn't go, if you were able to go, and particularly at Passover, you would go. Everyone would go up to Jerusalem. Well, there's a long history of going up to Jerusalem. There's an old hymn, old spiritual going, marching up to Zion. But we, we've lost that. I don't, think, I don't think that has not meant a lot to me. I don't know if it means a lot to you. Let's just look briefly about, because this is what he was doing. So let's look. Um, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this idea of going up to Jerusalem. Um, I just want to look at, at one or two right now. One is Isaiah chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, look at Isaiah chapter 2. This is the beginning of this prophecy of Isaiah, who's looking during the time the northern kingdom has been in captivity, the southern kingdom is crumbling, things are bad, and Isaiah is given a prophetic word for people who are um, struggling, people who are under leaders that are oppressing them, that they don't trust. There's a lot of nervousness and anxiety about who's going to be elected. Nothing that we can relate to. So, except they weren't elected, they were just appointed by kings. So, and uh, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, verse 2. So this is dealing with the southern kingdom that's on the edge and the virtual edge of collapse. Isaiah sees ahead to a day when God is in control, and it says, comes like this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nations shall all flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. We'll beat our swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. What is this saying? This is this idea that we're going to walk up to Jerusalem. Why? Is Jerusalem in and of itself special as a place? It's one reason Jerusalem was special. That's where God's presence dwelt. That's where the temple was. That's where God had chosen to reveal himself. And so to go up there was to recenter yourself and do what? To be taught of his ways to learn his word. God would teach us his ways. We'd walk in his paths as we walked 
up there to Jerusalem so that three times a year at least you'd begin this pilgrimage from these surrounding areas and you'd walk up this long road. It's a, it's a, it's a long grade up to Jerusalem. And Psalms 120 through 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms going up. And these were Psalms, we said one of them this morning. Just imagine yourself as a a person walking along the path, going and you're singing, hearing these songs, and all of them deal with coming into God's presence. I lift up my eyes to these hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. They're looking at these hills surrounding and they're marching up and they're saying, we're going to be in God's presence. We're going to learn of his ways. So, Jesus knew and understood and had tried to tell his disciples about this. By the way, as a side note, even now in Israel, you know, they, they talk about people coming who can have citizenship if you're Jewish in Israel and they call it Aliyah. You know what it means? In Hebrew, it means going up. Citizens of a new place. So here we are. Jesus understands and has tried to tell his disciples, I'm going to go learn of the ways of the Lord. I'm going to go see what he's about to do in my life. And Jesus had already told them twice and now tells them a third time what the ways of the Lord are to be in his presence. And he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, disciples, and the Son of Man, me, I'm about to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn me to death. They'll deliver me over to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked and spit upon, flogged and killed. After three days, I'll rise. Who's in the lead? The Bible's very clear. Mark is very clear who was leading the procession up the hill. You know who it was, right? Back again, verse 32. Don't miss this. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Knowing what was coming for him. I I can just tell you, I don't walk, I don't go first when I know bad things are coming. They drag me out of the house to get me. You know, when I was a kid and I had to go to the doctor, I was the one hiding in the closet, right? Because I knew what was coming. But Jesus led the way and said, follow me, I'm about to die. He wasn't taking joy in this. Don't misunderstand for a minute that he was in some way happy about, he was in every way like we are, he was perfectly human. But he also understood that in running into God's arms, even to a place where there was likely pain, and suffering and persecution, he was going to be smack in the center of God's will, and there's nowhere else we would rather be. Y'all, many of us in our individual lives and circumstances are going to be facing times of loss. Jesus is still leading the way for you. He is still marching up to Jerusalem, but he isn't heading any other city or place. He is heading straight into his Father's presence, 
And he says, come and follow me. The disciples, it says in verse 32, were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Very human responses. Understandable, I think. They didn't know what his death was going to mean for them, how much they were going to share in it. He understands we're both amazed and afraid. But follow him all the way up the hill. Don't give up. It's, it's going to be hard. I'm not going to make light of it. it if you're going to follow Christ to the end, it will not be easy. Okay? Let's, let's not make any mistakes. Let no one warn you, all right? Every eye on me. Is it going to be easy to follow Christ? No. If you think it is, if you think this is, he took away, forget this philosophy of, he, he on the cross, he took away, you know, he was poor so I could become rich. He was, you know, bad so I could become great. You know, I don't have to go through any bad things because he took all the bad things. No, he didn't. He says, anyone who wants to come follow me, get on a cross and follow me. Does he give you riches? Absolutely, but they're not the riches of this world. You may or may not be rich in this world. Blessings if you are, and Abraham was, and there's no shame in riches, but there's no honor in it either. There's no, there's no shame in poverty. There's no honor in poverty if it comes from God's hand. And God has never forsaken, never forsaken those who were his but we get on a cross and we die to ourselves and we die to what the world says we should be and we go up to Jerusalem with him. But you know what? We get to be with him and he's safe to be with and even as he's dying, he's looking around and he's taking care of those like his mother and others who are suffering. He's never going to leave you or forsake you even as you're drawing your last breath. He's never walking away from you. He has done everything needed already and provided, and it's found in his presence. Keep on the road. The disciples, being both afraid and amazed, reflect exactly how I feel at times. Jesus being tempted in every way as I am and understanding every step that you and I take should be the greatest comfort. Keeping our eyes upon him and walking this path with him is our privilege and he's opened up a way of grace because at the top of that hill is the pivotal event of all human history, at least according to the Bible. I know not according to current thinking, and I know not according to, you know, history books may not say this, but for people of faith, if, if God really came down as a man, and if he really died for us, there is nothing more important than that we have a way and access to God. It just is. It has to be. For those of us in faith at the top of that hill... Through the pain and through the suffering, there is resurrection. And we know it, and we see it, and don't for thinking, well, I can't walk through this because I just don't have it within me. That's right. You don't, but all, all we've got is to cling to Christ. 
And in that, in the cross, and in the resurrection, he's made a way. One last scripture I do want to look at, Romans eight seventeen, because I was reading that this week, going through the Romans, and I just, I noted something. Start at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Those of us who've been adopted into the family, those of us who've, who've received this gift from God, we are children. And if children, we are heirs. We are heirs of incredible riches. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided what does it say? Provided we suffer with him. There's no glory without a cross. There's no resurrection without death. He's made a way and he's done it for us. Let's hide ourselves in him. This morning as we take the Eucharist, this is both a reminder and a living place for us to experience with him both the death and resurrection power of Christ. We see his body, his blood. We see his presence as we take these elements because we're in that now and not yet period He's risen, but it's not fully done yet. And so we take this in faith of what's been done for us, all that's been accomplished, and a reminder of all that is yet to be accomplished. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, when you stretched out your arms upon a cross and you died on our behalf, Lord, there's nothing more that needed to be accomplished but that you already did for us. No striving on our behalf. Lord, nothing that we need to add to what's been done for us, but Lord, we need to fully receive and yield ourselves and embrace what you have done. And so we want to do that now remembering that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread. And when you'd given thanks, you broke it, and you gave it to your disciples, and you said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, you took a cup of wine. When you'd given thanks, you gave it to them, and you said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We take these gifts to ourselves, Lord, because they are gifts freely given. And we receive them, Lord, not on our merit, but on your word. These are the gifts of God and they're for the people of God. So take them and be thankful that Christ died for you.